Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. For this evening, I want us to look at a topic that has been on my mind for a little while. When we were going through Philippians um, several years ago, um, I had developed a ton of material on the topic of friendship because that was how we kind of introduced the book to us in the opening salutation of the book. And I had to kind of table a lot of it because it wasn't really pertinent to the text itself. But I do want to come back to that topic because I think this is an important topic. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. It's just going to be a springboard for, for what we want to look at. And um, what I want to do this evening is to uh, address this issue of spiritual friendships and, and their importance in the life of, uh, of any healthy church. It is important to understand as we come to first, um, the first chapter in Philippians here that this is a very personal letter. Paul was a spiritual father to this church in many, many ways. And um, Paul was uh, one of its founding members in some ways, and he developed a heartfelt and abiding friendship with the, with the believers at Philippi. And that friendship grew wider and deeper the longer he served you know, in ministry and the more he corresponded and interacted with them. Um, as they supported him in his gospel ministry, in his gospel efforts, uh, and as he ministered to them, their relationship over the years, it grew deeper. It actually grew much more um, uh, spiritually refreshing. And so while Paul was under house arrest, which he is here as he writes this letter in Rome, awaiting a trial before Caesar, the, the Philippian church, ever concerned about his well-being, um, uh, reached out and they sent a gift to him for the provision of his needs from one of their own members. His name is Epaphroditus. We, we were introduced to him in chapter 2, and that gift was meant to kind of minister to, to what he needed at that time. In the midst of all that, Paul was sending him back to Philippi, uh, Philippi excuse me, and sending uh, Epaphroditus back with this letter, this letter that we know as first, I mean as Philippians, excuse me, commending Epaphroditus, thanking them for their gift, and we see that in chapter 4, and uh, updating them on what has transpired, where things are at, and the same time he's exhorting them to greater faithfulness in Christ. This was a church, the Philippian church was a church that brought Paul tremendous joy incredible amount of joy. Philippians is sometimes referred to as the epistle of joy. This was not a church with lots of problems like we're seeing in 1 Corinthians. This was a, 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 a mature church. At the same time, we have to remember they were not a perfect church. There is no such thing as the perfect church. And, um, but they were a maturing church, and they were a church that Paul had a genuine spiritual friendship with. And the marks of friendship are all over the letter. Um, but they stand out, I think, most starkly here in the introduction, his kind of opening greeting, and then at the end, um, at the, uh, later on in chapter 4. But I do want to look at chapter, uh, verses 1 to 11 in chapter 1, just this by way of introduction to this topic. As Paul says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your fellowship or participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge in all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, in just reading through these verses, it's not hard to see how Paul's heart beat closely with this church. Like I said earlier, the fingerprints of friendship are all over these opening verses. The opening sentences set the tone for the letter. It's a clear letter uh, he is writing to his friends as he, as he addresses them. This is no, there's no statement of official position uh, you know, at the beginning. No mention of why he has the authority to write as he does in some of his other letters. Nothing is said as, as to um, why they have a responsibility to listen. And he doesn't need to say those things because he knows that they will listen, and they will listen with loving hearts. All of the churches, of all the churches that Paul corresponded with, Philippi was perhaps the one he was the closest with. And so he writes here, not as an apostle to members of a church in a distant land, but he writes as a friend to his friends. And when we read the opening verses of Philippians, we get a little glimpse into the heart and soul of a rich and rewarding friendship. And I think that's what I want us to kind of take away and sad to say, that is not um, a common thing anymore. It's a rare thing to see uh, uh, to rich and kind of satisfying friendships. I think the culture we live in does not encourage, uh, at least doesn't do much to help encourage, the development of deep, long-lasting, satisfying friendships. And they aren't just rare to find, like in the culture at large, they are difficult to find um, and to uh, develop even in the church. I think the culture we live in increasingly emphasizes busyness and for the most part receiving and possessing rather than um, what deep friendship requires, which is self-sacrifice and giving. Deep friendships require time. They require sacrifice. But the culture we live in and even the church culture we maybe we've grown accustomed to is one of being tied up with our own thing, kind of only thinking about ourselves. But in the opening verses here, the Philippians, we see the richness and the depth of spiritual friendship that's possible within the life of God's church. And I think we're reminded that God intends for relationships to be one of the primary means of strengthening his people. And that's really why I think this is an important topic for us to consider. Um, if you're a believer without any deep and abiding spiritual friendships in the local church, and if you devote no, little to no thought to that task or effort to that task, this wonderful means of God's grace in our lives, you and the church will be the poorer for it, for sure. And while the Bible doesn't have a lot of extended discussions of friendship, it has more to say about it than I think we, we might realize. And so um, supreme friendship, of course, is reflected in God himself, in the Godhead uh, himself. As God's word describes the perfect love, the perfect communion, the perfect oneness that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and uh, we don't have time to develop all that, but there's, there is a relation of um, love there that is obvious uh, as we study the, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, scripture gives us some illustrations, um, both Old and New Testament, of spiritual friendship, uh, what that should be like and how, what it can, what's possible underneath that. For example, the one that always comes to mind is David and his friend Jonathan and Saul's son. Um, the relationship that Ruth has with Naomi in the book of Ruth is another example. Um, Proverbs 
Proverbs commends the, in the, commends the blessing of having both spiritual friendships and keeping them. So when you add it all up, the scriptures leave us with the overall impression that God regards friendship as important and vital to our, our, our life and our health in, in the body of Christ. There are two then main ideas that are found in scripture when the Bible talks about friendship. And I just want to highlight them very quickly before we kind of get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. First, friendship involves uh, a mutual love and a knitting together of souls. As we look at the scriptures, friendship involves a mutual love and a knitting together of our souls. In uh, Deuteronomy 13 and verse 6, uh, Moses there describes a friend as uh, one who is as your own soul, is how the term that he appends to this, uh, this um, term friend. They are one who is as your own soul. In other words, a friend is a companion of one's innermost thoughts and feelings. First uh, Samuel 18 and verse 1 describes the friendship between Jonathan and David. And it says there in chapter 18, verse 1, the soul of Jonathan, Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. So the privileges and the responsibilities of friendship are rooted in covenantal love, communion, this interchange of giving and receiving, and this personal investment in another person. It involves a mutual love and a knitting together of souls. Secondly, when the Bible talks about friendship, it uses the metaphor, the language of face-to-face contact. Face-to-face contact. In Exodus 33 and verse 11, Um, Moses says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. The image here of face-to-face encounter implies contact. It implies sharing of thoughts and a bringing together of minds, goals, and purpose. These were the kind of spiritual friendships rooted and grounded in Christ that Paul had with many individuals and many, many churches as he ministered all across the Roman, the, the Roman world. I want you to listen, if you go over to chapter 10, how Paul describes his relationship with Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 19. Uh, and uh, it's going to be chapter 2 and verses uh, 19 to 22. He says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else, speaking of Timothy, of kindred spirit, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they, meaning all these other people, uh, all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Because Timothy was genuinely concerned about the needs of his fellow Christians and not seeking to promote his own interests, Paul can say in verse 20 that he is a kindred spirit. Timothy fully shares Paul's heart and his mind, and their relationship is so deep and close that he calls him at the end there a son in the faith. And so I think this is an important reminder that we have to get out of, we, we always kind of put Paul in his own thing, but he was no lone ranger. Everywhere Paul went, what happened? He was with somebody, traveling with friends, ministering with other believers. Wherever Paul was going, he almost always had somebody with him. For Paul, there was a mutual love and a knitting together of his soul with others, in Christ, There was a regular sharing and coming together of the minds with other believers wherever he went. 
So spiritual friendships were valuable. Spiritual friendships were important to Paul. And I think that's instructive for our hearts. This wasn't just true of Timothy or Barnabas or Luke. As we see the opening verses of this letter, it was true with the Philippian church. He writes as one friend to another. So in these verses, Paul's thanksgiving and prayer to us kind of reveal the fullness of spiritual friendship as he expresses affection for them as brothers and sisters. And the repetition of the, the all and always that you see throughout these verses um, uh, are something that we cannot overlook. As we read through these verses, like we just did, you can't just look at that and say, oh, that's nice way for Paul to start a letter. Um, that seems like a, a, a kind way to start. And then just move on or step over a fortune's worth of spiritual riches, which are just sitting there for us to pick up. It, that would be to read the text with a superficial understanding. There's a depth and a fullness of spiritual friendship expressed here between Paul and between this church It's instructive to our hearts and I think challenges us individually and as a church towards spiritual friendships in the body of Christ. And so what I want to do tonight, and we'll start the process tonight, and um, initially we were going to do a QA and a in a couple of weeks, (laughs) but as it luck would have it, um, I've got way more material than it can cover in one reasonable message. And so we'll pick up uh, five or six points tonight and we'll get the last five or six in a couple of weeks and we'll figure out another time to do a &A. (laughs) Q&A. Um, But my prayer is, I think, as we better understand the fullness of spiritual friendship, that we'll be better equipped and motivated to pursue them. And I think that really is the heart of discipleship. Um, we, we, Our churches, we love to talk about the concept of discipleship. And and we understand that. And sometimes we look at it as kind of a, you know, I am the leader and you are the follower. But but really, discipleship happens in the context of spiritual friendship. It happens in the context of spiritual friendship. And I think we need to be um, helped along the way in that task. Maybe the kind of by way of introduction. Again, I've got five or six points here, and we'll just work through them over the next few minutes. Um, maybe the first thing we need to say is at the outset, is in order to build and maintain spiritual friendships that glorify God, you and I have to have a friendship with God in Christ through faith, okay? I think that's foundational. You can't have a spiritual friendship without the Holy Spirit. Um, You need a new heart and a new mind if we're going to be able to glorify Christ through spiritual friendships, because ultimately that's what true friendships do. They're meant to magnify Christ Not about so much making us happy, although they certainly will bring a lot of joy to our lives. That is what friendships do. They ultimately magnify Christ who brought us into the place of friendship with himself through the grace of the gospel, which we read in John 15. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. We cannot forget that Christ taught us that the first and greatest commandment is, first, above all things, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Um, and then the second greatest commandment is, like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You aren't going to be prepared to be a true friend to others until you love Christ um, above all things, until Christ rules in your, in your heart. Unless the controlling interest of our hearts is a love for Christ, we will inevitably gravitate toward using people for selfish ends like gaining approval, for exerting control over others, feeling good about ourselves, or enlarging our social standing, you know, those kinds of things, rather than being a genuine and true friend. So in your friendships, 
God alone must reign supreme. Otherwise, friends or even just the idea of friendship will be turned into an idol, right? It's amazing what our hearts will do. Calvin called them idol factories, and it's absolutely true. Something that is good and right and profitable and glorifies Christ, we can take that, put it in the wrong place, and ultimately make an idol out of friends or friendship. Friendships, like everything else, rest in God's hand and not ours. So while there's definitely actions we can take uh, and we'll get into the practi- practical dynamics of it, that we can take to establish and cultivate spiritual friendships. Sometimes relationships that look very promising don't pan out. And sometimes relationships that we rely very heavily on and that we come to almost uh, feel like we can't live without, God will suddenly and unexpectedly take them out of our lives. And we cannot lose heart over those kind of providential twists and turns. We can't be discouraged by that because God has... Uh, friendship, just like everything else, under his control. And maybe one final comment by way of introduction here is Christian friendship requires discernment. It requires discernment. You cannot assume that everyone you might want to be friends with (laughs) or wants to be friends with you would even make a good friend for that matter. So we need to be discerning with our friendships. Beware of friendships with people who are given over to sin. That's something that the Proverb, the word, the book of Proverbs really um, brings to the surface. Proverbs 22 says in verse 24, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. And that's one of many warnings in the book of Proverbs about not associating with those or not walking in step with those who do evil. And then, of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Um, So we need to be careful. We need to be mindful. This is especially helpful for you young people. Choose your friends wisely. Choose them wisely. And uh, that applies to all of us for sure. So choose friends carefully. Choose your friends Uh, close friends even more carefully. God gives us friendships. We need to understand, if you think about it in terms of concentric circles, God gives us friendships on different levels. Uh, uh, You can think of them, you know, as kind of maybe like four or five concentric circles. On the outermost end, we have acquaintances. These are people that we kind of have a very superficial or simple knowledge of each other. Um, Inside of that, we'll likely have even fewer uh, allies, you could call them, people that we, we, we know are kind of like-minded and, and we sort of understand them a little bit better and know them a little bit more personally. And then even if you go further in, you have an even smaller circle of what we would call companions, people that you know well. And, and for the most part, you see eye to eye on so many things. And, and uh, maybe there's a depth of, of time together that, that makes them uh, kind of unique amongst all the people that you know. And in the innermost circle, the fewest of all, we would call them maybe confidants, people People who, who really, um, these are the people that know you in top to bottom, in and out. Um, there's a depth of relationship there that's kind of unlike any other. And, and those might just be one or two or, or a handful of people that we might ever kind of, you know, whatever um, those relationships would develop to that point. And while people are always moving in and out of those concentric circles, we cannot be passive at this task of developing friendships. We must be active at it. And as Christians, we're called to walk together for, pur- for the purpose of making and maturing disciples of Christ who run to win. So I think this is, important, this is an important topic. Healthy Christianity is not a solitary enterprise. It can't be viewed that way, but one lived out together in communion with God and his people 
for the praise of his glorious grace. So I think foundational to all of what we're going to say tonight on a practical level, and we'll get somewhat practical, is you must know Christ and love him above all things. And from that, then the, this, this task of, of getting to know people and building relationships and building spiritual friendships will then uh, hopefully unfold the way God intends. So a um, couple of things, a couple of points to uh, kind of fill us up for tonight. Uh, the first practical step when it comes to um, establishing and developing spiritual friendships is this. Talk to one another. <laughs> all the, and all the programmers said, <gasps> <laughs> sorry, son. It's true, right? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> Talk to one another. Most friendships begin when one person starts talking to another person that they don't know. Um, they don't magically, friendships don't magically appear spontaneously and they don't grow without the essential elements of words and communication. Part of the grunt work of establishing and deepening spiritual friendships is just talking to other people. So don't wait around for people to come and talk to you. Go and talk, start, go up to and start talking to someone else. Introduce yourself, ask a few questions, probe to see what common interests might lie beneath the surface, get to know other people without an agenda, and be willing to share a little, you don't have to disclose everything, but to share a little bit about yourself as you interact with people. Obviously, and, and, I, and I'm not being, you know, I, I pick on programmers or I pick on uh, quiet people. But obviously, this comes more easily to some than others. And that's, that's kind of what I want to help. Uh, for those for whom it is a challenge, um, you, they may be tempted to say, well, this, it's just not something I can do. But really, the, the discipline of talking to other people is... Um, just that. It's a discipline and a skill that can be honed. It's a discipline and a skill that can be learned and strengthened. So if you struggle with being um, shy around other people, or it's just naturally, doesn't come naturally for you to start conversations with others, um, I would say you need to get your mind off of that reality, because sometimes we can dwell on those things and that sets us back, and set it on what is true. You know, Philippians 4 says, uh, whatever is right and true and honorable and pure and those things. He says, set your mind on those things. And here's what's true. What's true is that God has lovingly created you with valuable qualities, right? Because you're created, all of us are created in the image of God. Um, there is something glorious about you simply by your existence, I think biblically we need to acknowledge that. And you and I have a responsibility before God to then extend ourselves to others and to help them. You have to come, uh, you have to recognize that you have something to offer other people and that as a Christian, you and I have a stewardship from God to share that with others. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are Christ's workmanship created, or excuse me, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so as you talk with other people, don't be afraid to talk about spiritual things as well as just the practical things of life. 
Um, I think, you know, uh, one encouragement I would have for you is to sprinkle your conversations with the savor of Christ. If you're a Christian, especially with other Christians in the church, sprinkle your conversations with the savor of Christ. It doesn't need to be weird or unnatural, um, right? We don't need to be over the top spiritual, right? Because that's not how we live. That's not how we think and act. Um, but as you, as you talk to people, as you ask questions, as you share your life with others, you can weave into those conversations his truth and those things that are front and center in your heart and mind. So if God is the most important thing in your life, and he should be, then that should be reflected in our talking to one another and especially with other believers in the context of the local church. So um, I think the, the first, I guess, exhortation or encouragement for you as you think about building spiritual friendships, the first critical element is to talk with one another. Second, if we're going to build spiritual friendships, we must listen to one another. And those kind of go hand in glove. The best friends listen well and listen with genuine interest. I think a lot of people... Um, and myself included, I'm sure at times, love to hear themselves talk. And having the attention of others is, is very satisfying. But as James says, every one of us must be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, and hopefully slow to anger. So we need to learn to be active listeners. We don't just listen with our ears, though. We listen with our minds, right, and paying attention to what people are saying to us. We listen with our eyes as we make eye contact and watch people. And uh, we listen and, and, uh, with our, uh, by observing people's facial expressions and by our facial expressions and posture. So, so good listening uh, is uh, active listening involves all the senses. It involves the eye, maybe not the hand so much, but, but eyes and ears. And our mind needs to be fully engaged for sure. Uh, good listeners ask Good follow-up questions because they genuinely care about other people and because it communicates interest. Uh, when we ask questions as we talk with people, that helps draw people out. And it, I think, helps in that process of knitting our hearts together um, with, with them. We should listen well, as Romans twelve fifteen says, so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We need to know people and understand people and really listen to people to understand what the needs are so that we can match the situation as God calls us to do that. A listening ear, along with talking to one another, is essential to building um, spiritual friendships. Too many conversations in our culture end up being nothing more than simultaneous monologues where um, one person is just waiting for the other person to stop talking so that they can start talking about what they are really interested in or what they want to talk about. And, and then it kind of goes back and forth. There's very little interest in an actual exchange of ideas and thoughts one with another. And um, and the way that that exchange of ideas and that knitting together of hearts, that's greased, if you will, by asking questions and active listening. It's a skill, and it takes practice, and it requires um, the right heart. So Christ, I think, is a great example of this. He's, if you read through the Gospels and you see him interacting with the crowds and with individuals, he was what? Always, always asking questions. I mean, constantly asking questions. Why? 
because that was an overflow of his compassion for the people. He knew what their needs were. He knew what they were going to say and do and where their heart was even before they spoke. He didn't need anyone to testify concerning man. But at the same time, he used questions to draw them out and to lead them to where God wanted them to go. So he, um, he uses questions a lot as a listener, and he took notice of their, uh, having taken notice of their needs. And I think we need, to, we need to emulate our Lord in that. Third, spiritual friendships are built and established by enjoying life together. So that's maybe the third um, key or component, if you will, of building spiritual friendships is enjoying life together. I don't know who said it, but I read and bookmarked a long time ago this little statement. Friends increase their joys by sharing them. And I think that was, that was just, that kind of hit me like, a, like a, a, a bat right in the middle of the head. I mean, that's so true, right? Friends increase their joys by sharing them with other people. Practically speaking, then, one of the most basic ways you and I can do that is by eating together. Eating together is a great way to enjoy life. There are three of the most important tools of Christian friendship are a fork, a knife, and a spoon. Right? Or in our house, occasionally chopsticks, right? Like if, if, you, uh, if you're comfortable using chopsticks. Sitting down and sharing a meal together, as we've learned at our study of the Lord's table, it, it accomplishes something. It communicates a powerful message of Christ-like love and social acceptance. What were the Corinthians doing? They weren't eating together. And what? It was creating division within the church. So when we are willing to sit down and eat together, there is a welcoming and a transparency in that time and a self-disclosure in that simple act of hospitality that enriches our lives and intensifies our joy. Um, not to pick on our, or to single out our kids, but, but they don't like eating alone. They love to eat with others in the house, right? Because they enjoy the company of others. When we do that, we increase our joy. And when done regularly, friends, people outside of our immediate family, they become uh, family. They are, become family by that shared time together. True friends are those with whom you can laugh and be serious with at the same time. So I ask you, do you, do you have those kind of people in your life? Are, are, are they in this local church if you're a part of this church? Like, do you have those kinds of relationships? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4, Solomon reminds us that there is a time for weeping and a time for laughing. And sometimes that's at the same table, at the same meal. Do we recognize that those times of fun exist? And if, they, and if you do, are you making active efforts to share them with other people? This is one of the ways that spiritual friendships are forged, by sharing life together, enjoying life together. And there's many other ways that that can happen. Uh, fourth, spiritual friendships are built and established by serving one another. By serving one another, one of the surest, uh, sure, excuse me, serving with one another, especially. I need to make sure that little um, preposition is there. Serving with one another, and of course, it involves a serving one another as well. But, but it's serving with one another. Um, 
one of the surest ways to, to bind our hearts together and get that critical face-to-face interaction is to labor side-by-side uh, side in God-honoring service for the advancement of Christ's church. Um, if you're a lonely Christian, one of the best things you can do is to get involved in the ministry of the church. It's one of the surest ways to um, kind of dial back that loneliness. One of the ways that Paul's heart, we saw just a moment ago, was knit with Timothy was through their mutual service together in the cause of the gospel. Philippians 2, we just saw it. He says, they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, Timothy's, proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. So, so serving together transforms friends into a spiritual family in much the same way that the heat of battle transforms individual soldiers into a band of brothers, as Shakespeare says in Henry V. So spiritual friendships, essentially uh, serving together, lifts our eyes from our natural selfishness and links us together in common purpose with other believers, helping us learn about each other more deeply. And I can say by um, personal testimony, this has been one of, the, one of the primary ways in which God has allowed me to build those spiritual friendships over the years. It helps us, those serving together helps us learn more about one another in terms of our strengths, but it also helps us learn more about each other in terms of our weaknesses and those areas that need shoring up which God can then use that individual or other individuals to strengthen through that friendship, through that relationship. Likewise, serving together aids us in the task of loving one another and uh, with greater fidelity and loyalty. So, so serving with serving one another, serving with one another is, is a great outlet for building spiritual friendships. Fifth, the task of building spiritual friendships is aided in thinking through things with one another. Thinking through things with one another. Scripture commends and calls us to be of one mind, excuse me, one, uh, to be one with our fellow brothers and sisters, not just in terms of our actions, but uh, with our minds, to be of one mind. If you look at chapter one and the beginning part of chapter two in Philippians, in verse 27, Paul says, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm, what? In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says to them, make, excuse me, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So thinking through God's truth together as we converse with each other, as we interact with each other, is a really important way that brothers and sisters hone and sharpen each other. And, of course, we know Proverbs 27 and verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So on a practical level, talk about God with each other. Talk about the things of Christ with each other. Talk about how God's word relates to the world in which we are living and the world that God's created and the world in which we live in together. Help other Christians love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help them do that. And by God's grace, they will reach back and do the same 
for you. Don't be afraid to also debate ideas with fraternal love. All right? Um, have the humility to admit that you may be wrong about this issue or that issue or that you need to learn more. Perhaps we just aren't aware of certain things. Be willing to put forth soundly reasoned and well thought out arguments to defend those things which you hold great conviction over. And friends help us sharpen that. Friends help us dial, you know, cut away, uh, you know, when you um, sift wheat, the, the chaff the, that has no nutritional value, no purpose. What? It, by throwing it up in the air again and again and again, the chaff blows away and what you're left with is, is what matters. And that's, I think, what conversations can do for us with our brothers and sisters and, our, and people who we're developing these friendships with. They help us think better. They help us think more wisely. I know... I, I I love our men's time because on, on Wednesday mornings because um, so often comments will be brought forward and discussions will take place, and, um, and I benefit from that. I learn from those things, and I hope they, they learn from me somehow that I have something to offer as well, and, and that's how we encourage and help one another and build one another up. So spiritual friendships should allow for you to disagree with someone, uh, to learn from them, and yet still walk away from the interaction with mutual affection and respect intact. Um, it, I think uh, one of the sad things that I've noticed over the last maybe 10 or 15 years is this, um, and I think technology, um, while it's wonderful in some respects, is, is a challenge in another respect, and that if you don't agree with someone, you can just go find someone else that agrees with you on the Internet somewhere. <laughs> And so we're never forced to, like, work through issues. We just keep self-sorting into different groups that agree with us until we don't agree on something else, and then we self-sort into a subset of that group, and then a self-sort into a subset of that group. And the churches, our churches are fractured because of that. And I think that's, that's a dangerous thing to have it to get into. If you immediately write off anyone who doesn't see through an issue exactly the same way you do or would not apply the text in exactly the same way you have... Uh, done that, um, if you're always jettisoning them because of that, don't be surprised if you end up walking through life alone. Now, we, we, need to, um, we need to be willing and able to disagree with people in a way that is charitable and in a way that uh, preserves relationships because we need them just as much as they might need us. David Benner, who wrote a book um, called Sacred Companions, says this, Friends who enjoy soul intimacy never settle for gossip or simple information exchange. Instead, they use the data of events as springboards for the sharing of feelings, perceptions, values, ideas, and opinions. But most important, however, spiritual intimacy, he says, involves sharing our common experience of God. End quote. I think that's a wonderful way to think about it. And so we think through things with one another in the church. Well, I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got five more things, which I'm going to have to table for next time because we want to end on time tonight. In conclusion here, John Calvin had a spiritual friendship, if you know anything about church history, with Philip Melanchthon, an associate of Martin Luther. 
Melanchthon was best known for systematizing and advancing some of the great gospel truths that were unearthed through Luther and Calvin and Zwingli in, in the earliest years of the Reformation. Melanchthon was a, was a good friend to Calvin. Calvin wrote to him later in his life, he says, the distance in place cannot prevent us content with the bond that Christ has established through his blood and has enclosed in our hearts through his spirit. This is the distance in place cannot prevent us from holding on to the hope that we will, meaning he and them, you and I, will in the end live together eternally and in eternal enjoyment of our love and friendship. That's what he wrote to Melanchthon. Uh, of course, if you know anything about church history, you know that Calvin and the Reformation Geneva and the Reformation that was happening with Luther, you know, very different tracks at that point. Many different things were going on, and yet they loved one another. And what gave their friendship such depth, a depth I think that's often missing in many of our spiritual friendships today, was this conviction that these relationships that we have in the church were wrought by God and they are eternal. They are forever. And that eternal bond is what compels us to establish, I think, and to develop lasting spiritual friendships with other believers in the church. Friendship with a depth of richness and satisfaction is something that not even death itself can tear apart in the church, which is a wonderful, wonderful hope. It begins now here on earth, and our friendships hopefully will continue on into eternity. So um, there's more things that we can do to... um, uh, to develop and to establish and develop spiritual friendships. I'm just going to give you the list real quick. Be with one another, trust one another, pray with one another, repent to one another, and hope with one another. And we'll have to pick that up in a couple of weeks. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the friendships and the relationships that you've given us in Christ, in your church. I pray that even tonight in thinking through this topic and thinking about it in a very practical sense, that we will be challenged to uh, work hard at this task. It takes work. We understand that. Um, And uh, a lot of things that, a lot of relationships that we reach out to uh, others in, uh, they don't get off the ground the way we hope, or or there's a lot of um, false starts and things like that. Lord, help us not to be discouraged, not to be overwhelmed, or or to sit down in self-pity, but rather to trust you and just to continue to be about these tasks of talking to one another, listening to one another, enjoying life together with one another, thinking through the things of the Lord with one another, and being able to uh, open, serve with one another in the church. What, I mean, what a, what a privilege that is. And I thank you for those that have enriched our lives, my life, and our lives with so many of our people over the years. I thank you for the co-laborers in the gospel. Help us to continue to build into those things for the purpose of discipleship, that we would help take people from where they are to where they need to be, and that you would be glorified in all of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message. For more information or more messages like this, visit us at cascadesbiblechurch.com or subscribe via your favorite podcast app.